The following program is a part of the Movie Morgue Network. I've already been dead for such a very, very long time. But I've come back to bring you news of the most gruesome twosome ever produced. Back to the 19th episode of the Bitter Bastard Nerdcast. Today we're going to be discussing the newest addition to the Star Wars canon, Solo, tickling our funny bones with Ant-Man and the Wasp, and cleaning the heads of our VCRs with our retro rewind picks, Miami Connection and Slaughter Hotel. But before we go any further, please welcome back to my co-host and founder of the B-Movie BFFs website, Kelly Hogaboom. Good afternoon, Tim. Hello. So, uh... One of the things we started doing last time was we started discussing, you know, if anything genre-wise that we've been watching lately. Uh, what have you been perusing the uh, last month or so? I, um, I've i been watching some really good stuff. I normally like to watch just garbage. So thank you for <laughs> bringing at least one garbage film to us with these four. But um, I just introduced <laughs> my kid, my oldest kid, to Hot Fuzz from 2004. Uh-huh. And we had so much fun. That film is just as fun as it was when I saw it in the theater. And um, I also just rewatched Mothra from 1961, which I I have a soft spot for Mothra. I'm a big fan. But my favorite thing that I've watched in the last um, week is um, The Sinner, which is a television program from, I believe, USA that's now on Netflix. And that's the one you said it was it's kind of like a noir, modern noir kind of it's, thing. It's a why done it. And it's um, I think there's eight episodes and it's it's a kind of a psychosexual drama Um uh, a kind of housewife she like commits this crime out of nowhere at the beginning of the show and it's obvious she did it everyone saw her do it and the series is trying to figure out why she did it and so there's a lot of flashbacks and um, you know Jessica Beale is the lead in that and um, Bill Pullman is kind of the co-lead and they both are phenomenal and um, it's definitely a grown-up program. It has a lot of sexual content, and there's abuse, and um, you know it's pretty intense. But it's just it's excellent, 100%. I loved it. Yeah, uh, on your recommendation, I actually started watching. I've watched uh, I watched the first episode uh, last night. Yeah, I, <laughs> I started the first episode at like 4 p.m. one day, and I was like, 
uh, is this a cussing podcast, Tim? I can't remember. Oh, yeah. You, I, yeah. I have a, okay. I have a potty mouth. Yeah. So I started <laughs> watching it and I was like, fuck it. I got to watch the whole thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I couldn't turn it off. So I, it was that compelling. And, um, and then, of course, I had like anxiety for, you know, I couldn't sleep very well because it's pretty intense, but um, yeah. it's, it's super great. I loved it. Uh, well, the, I have to say, I think um, from what I saw, I mean, Jessica Beale was fantastic. And, uh, from what I just the first episode, um, she's one of those actresses that I think was kind of boxed into where everyone just kind of looked at her as just a pretty face. Yeah, and uh, you know that she would only do kind of like lightweight fare. Um, and she this entire just this one episode I watched. I mean, you can tell that this woman is absolutely damaged, and you it, you want to reach in the TV and smack people around like it's like. Can you not see that this woman <laughs> needs some help? Right. You know, right. she's just constantly, you see her when she's just like zoned out and, you know, and like her husband wants to have sex with her and she's just got this look kind of like, okay. Right. And she's not into it at all. Yeah. I, I actually loved how they portrayed, like I could tell the audience can tell something's wrong. But you right. could also sort of see why the people in her life, as long as she's doing her job and, and being an attentive wife and mother, they might miss those signs. And I think, you know, without revealing anything about about the plot, that's one thing I liked about it was for any person, especially a woman who has abuse in the past or has been gaslit and all of those things, I found this a really empowering program besides just being a great story and um yeah it's she was super great in it and and uh, surprisingly the book is even darker and nastier <laughs> so oh, I, d- I don't think i'll be reading the book but um yeah i, I had a great time with this one i was gonna say i don't i don't know how we get much darker than that that was pretty <laughs> yeah. grim yeah it is yeah but I guess it was a German, it's a German novelist, and I don't know, it's, it's, I went oh, from what I, read. yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, so what about you, what have you been watching? Well, I've been watching, actually, uh, <clears throat> a lot of uh, spaghetti westerns, um, it, it's interesting, growing up, I was never a fan of westerns at all, my grandfather loved them, uh, you know, he always read uh, Louis L'Amour and Zane Grey books, and I just couldn't figure out why these were interesting. And he would watch, you know, John Wayne, of course, and uh, any of those old, you know, like John Ford, uh, you know, epics or Bud Bedecker or whatever, and <clears throat> just did nothing for me. And when I finally saw Spaghetti Westerns, that's when I really started getting interested. And I don't know if it's just maybe they, because they're more cynical and... Um, uh, more grim they just feel more adult to me even though they're just as guilty of of having the same kind of uh tropes and, and right. uh, you know stereotypes and pitfalls that american westerns have they're just a little different um but i i love them and and there's a, a couple that i've been watching I, I watched um day of anger with lee van cleef okay which i i just absolutely love and i love lee van cleef anyway <laughs> and it, it's great seeing him as a, um, or at least as, as close to a good guy character as he's going to get. Um, and it, it, that's a wonderful film. Um, 
uh, uh, I never know how to pronounce this properly. It, I believe it's Requiescant. Um, and it's uh, <clears throat> about this guy who was his entire he, he's he's Mexican. His entire family is killed by this uh, evil guy uh, played by Mark Damon, who you would know from you know, like uh, uh, Follow the House of Usher or um, uh, Black Sabbath, the Mario okay. Bava right. film. Um, and he grows up to become, he's supposedly a priest. I, I don't think they really ever specify whether or not he, he's a priest for real or not, but he, he's a, supposedly a priest, but he's, he's can gunning for this guy and looking for him, of course, because so many spaghetti Westerns are revenge based. Yes. Um, and, and that's, and that's wonderful. Both of those were, um, are, are from Arrow who does such a beautiful job on, on restoring a lot of, uh, a lot of Italian and you know Euro films, um, and the other one that I watched was a, <clears throat> a Spanish film uh, that was restored recently and put out on Blu-ray uh, called "Who Can Kill a Child." And wow, you want to talk about grim? That is one grim film. You you know you're in for a a dark time when the first five to eight minutes of the film is Holocaust footage. Oh, geez. Yeah, and, and that was that's the one thing with this film. It's like when I think about repeat viewings, because I do have a lot of movies that I just watch over and over. Um, as much as I enjoyed this film, I, I see me fast forwarding through the beginning part. Gotcha. Because it's dark and it's real footage from from the Holocaust, and and it's what it's trying to do is talk about man's inhumanity to man and how children. Uh, and what what they've been through, it's only natural that maybe at some point children will turn on us. Right. And you know, <clears throat> so I get the point of it being there, but I think it's a little too long as far as that part goes. Um, the rest of it is really intense, well done, very very much like an extended um, Twilight Zone. Yeah. Kind of, um, and it's, it's, it's a couple that's on, I think they're I believe they're like on their they're on a honeymoon or something and and the, the woman's expecting their first child and they end up on this this island off the coast of Greece I think and um, <clears throat> they can't find anybody anywhere and, and they eventually find uh, a child who just kind of comes up and giggles at them and then runs away and it comes to be that they've murdered every single adult on the island these children and there's something evil about the children and we, we they don't specify what it is they don't say why and because at one point you see they run they're running towards the beach to try and get away and there's a family you know fishermen that live on the beach and there's children there and the children there are normal but then one of the other kids from the rest of the village comes up and they just lock eyes and look at each other and all of a sudden now that kid's like kind of infected okay with this kill parents thing or kill grown-ups or whatever and it's it's very grim it's a grim movie but it's it's really well done it's very uh, it's pretty much you know, like when you talk about something like adult entertainment uh, that's pretty much it, it falls under that i would say it sounds like um you know because there were some of those 70 late 60s 70s uh you know like the omen and the other you know, you've mm -hmm. got the uh, evil child, and um, right. and there's a bunch of those now. They've they've started. I haven't watched any of them because I'm not into the evil child genre at all. <laughs> so, because you know, the kids either gonna get you know 
killed or the or the demon's gonna get um exercised and then move on to somebody else or i just i just can't with those movies but yeah that's it made me think watching it is it really feels like Stephen King had seen it before writing Children of the Corn. Gotcha. Which, it, uh, oh my God. <laughs> it, it, has that kind of, it has that kind of thing. Although, like I said, they don't get into whether or not they're like possessed or anything. It's just an evil airborne it's, virus. It, or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just there's something these children that they they view adults as a threat. And so they have to kill them. Yeah, well, why bother explaining it, you know? <laughs> like, <clears throat> well, honestly, it's almost scarier than the, that they didn't. Right. I'm just thinking you about know? our slasher we talked about last time, right? Where they have the killer and oh. you, you're waiting for them to explain it. And they're like, nah, we're not, we're not going to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah, it's like... just some nondescript dude in a camo jacket. <laughs> exactly. Take it with, or leave it. <laughs> with anger <laughs> management problems right. for some reason. <clears throat> Well, that sounds – so I have to ask you about Westerns. Do you like the um, – because I think both the films you mentioned were from 1967, 68. Um, yeah. You watch the sort of the newer kind of noir Westerns that we're seeing now? Um, sometimes. Uh, it, it, there, there has to be a hook for mm-hmm. me with Westerns. I mean, like when it comes to old Westerns, the, what I – I mean – I love the Hopalong Cassidy westerns. Okay. With William Boyd, um, those to me, I don't know why. I think that they're they're a, kind of a cut above the average B western. The budgets look a little bigger, and he's such a likable lead, and his sidekick, you know, is usually is, is fun. Um, and if I'm gonna watch an old one, it'll be something like real early 30s. Okay. Really low budget and creaky. <laughs> right which i which would probably bore the shit out of everybody else i don't know <laughs> something with tom Keene or bob Steele. Or, wow okay there's uh, they made so many of these old westerns i mean you could well, never yeah. watch them all yeah the westerns for you know like 40 years were just were a total cottage industry themselves mm. you know that you know that would play mainly more like smaller rural towns and stuff because they they ate it up you know that's why you had so many uh, series westerns, like I said, whether it's Hopalong Cassie, any of the Roy Rogers, Gene Autry stuff, or uh, like the Three uh, Mosquitoes, or um, anything with like Sunset Carson or, or whatever. I mean, that those things they just crank those things out left and right, and and by the hundreds every year, and yet they they money because they they the budgets were so low because everything was mostly outdoor shooting mm. you know they didn't have to they just use like the same they film like say you know uh <clears throat> at uh, some of the established you know western towns like corriganville or um the, like the ranch at chadwick or whatever and it's like okay we've got a standing set for the t- for the town okay and everything else we just ride around outside so we don't have to build any sets so we've already cut out a huge chunk of the budget right there, you know. So yeah, they could just crank them out. Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, with like, more modern stuff, uh, like I, I like stuff like Unforgiven, right? Um, or Pale Rider. And I say modern. It's like yeah. 30 years ago. Well, I was gonna no. say, um, you know, <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of the super dark um, western, like, and I mean contemporary, like this decade. Um, 
but you know they've started to put out a lot of them that aren't that great um i watched the salvation which i think is 2014 with mads mickelson and it, mm-hmm. you know it was pretty uncompelling but like i really loved um two australian westerns uh, mystery road from 2013 sweet country from 2017 and I actually really liked Bone Tomahawk, which was almost more of a horror movie. Um, right. It acted like a Western for a while, and then it turns into horror. Oh, it's um, super grisly. I loved it so much. So I like some of that super dark um, stuff. So And The Proposition from 2005, you know, um, with, uh, what's his name, Guy Pierce. That was super yeah. fun. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> I guess, like, more modern stuff has been, like, you know, I, I really like, I know they're both Tarantino, but I like Django Unchained and uh, The Hateful Eight. I love both of those. Yeah, I'm not ready to watch The Hateful Eight, and I don't like Tarantino as a person. And so um, I, I did finally watch Unglorious Bastards just like half a year ago. Yeah, it was you know he's obviously very talented. Um, and I watched yeah. Django Unchained. It was fine. You know he's he's a talented director for sure. Well, he's able to make me like actors that I never really thought much of in the past. Right. Right. And, um, but I mean, yeah, as a person, he seems like kind of a douche, but, um, <laughs> as a filmmaker, I mean, he's just, I mean, his dialogue and, uh, he's got an amazing cinematic eye. Um, so, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons I saw those Westerns because I knew they were his, his work. Right. So, well, check I, out. I, I love Jeff Bridges. Yeah. And he's great in The Hateful Eight. Okay. Yeah. No, I haven't got around to that. I'm not sure if I will get around to that one. Um, but yeah, you should. Uh, you might check out Sweet Country. Um, I think okay. that, that's a pretty great film. So, and it's got uh, Sam Neill, and I follow him on Twitter. He's like a he's a winemaker. Yeah, super. Sam Neill. Yeah, he's super into it. I I think he wins awards and stuff. So is is, is he uh, here where I live in wine country or a uh, Sam Neill? I don't know where he lives, but I assume he lives in Australia making wine. But I oh. I don't actually oh, okay. know. <laughs> so yeah. Oh okay. I didn't know he was out of the country, but okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So. Cool. All right. Well, let's get on to our main events. Uh, what do you get when you combine an unknown lead replacing a legend coupled with a half-baked origin story that no one asked for? <laughs> you get the latest in the Star Wars saga, jam-packed with creatures new and old, plus a silky smooth appearance from everyone's favorite turncoat, Lando Calrissian, all gathered together for a heist film crammed into a heretofore rather limited universe. There's Wookiees, a wasted Thandie Newton, and more space British accents than you can shake a bantha at in Solo, a Star Wars story. I've been running scams on the street since I was 10. I was kicked out of the flight academy for having a mind of my own. pilot best in the galaxy hey kid I'm putting together a crew you in that's yes I might be the only person who knows really are. What's that? 
thought we were in trouble there for a second, but it's fine. We're fine. Okay. So, <laughs> um, what are your impressions of, of this film? I mean, the the fans, you know, as a general rule, pretty much loathed it. Right. But then again, you know, they pretty much have, have hated everything else anyway, so. <laughs> you know, um, I I have so many strong feelings about this film, but in general, like, I really enjoyed it. Um, as I mentioned, I'm not really a fan of Harrison Ford or Han Solo as he as he was. So <gasps> that, yeah, that changes. I mean, and I will say. How dare you? You know, I wrote a review for this film, and um, when I looked up. And I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right. Alden uh, Ehrenreich. Yes. The new Han Solo. When I tried to find a picture of him online, um, so many photos came up and they were comparing him, a picture of him with a picture of young Harrison Ford. Right. And I just thought that is so, it's such a setup. Like if you need it to be a guy who looks and acts just like Harrison Ford, how are you possibly going to be satisfied if you watch a prequel? It's it's not going to happen. Well, that's that's the pitfalls of making a prequel, you know, w- with a beloved character. And the only thing I ever saw him in before this was a uh, Great Caesar. Mm-hmm. Right. Is that what it was called? Yeah, the the Ethan uh, the Cohen brothers film. Hail Caesar. Yeah. Hail Caesar. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he, I I actually thought he was pretty funny in that. He was one of the better parts of that film, which I thought was rather uneven. Um, but man, you sign up to play young Han Solo, you're already you've got to know that you're already setting yourself up for right. getting slammed. Right. Um, <clears throat> I I personally found, you know, it was entertaining enough. I guess. I mean, if it was, if it hadn't been called solo a star wars story it was just a generic star Wars or you know space opera film i think i would have maybe liked it a little bit better i mean i just had a hard time going yeah this is the same character because it didn't feel and not i'm not just talking about the fact that he he doesn't look anything to me like harrison ford but because it it just didn't feel like han solo yeah i actually liked his performance because he was he was less cocky and he was more sort of sweet and insecure and i i totally fell for it i i liked it well, um it. han solo is not sweet and insecure and that's right. you know that's why it didn't feel like han right. solo to me i i also kind of noted that in this film they are introducing not only the beloved character of Han Solo, but the beloved character of Lando, Lando, uh, Chewbacca and the Millennium Falcon. Right. So the movie had a lot to, to deal with. And I, as far as attributes that I liked, I loved the look of this film. I felt like it was, it had that sort of seventies look from the, you know, the original Star Wars, what I call the original Star Wars um, but then I read today that they it's one of they had a huge budget, huge budget. Um, I'm looking at uh, it's 275 million, one of the most expensive films ever made. I had yeah. no idea. That's mm-hmm. that's um, so no wonder it looked good. <laughs> they had- yeah. Well, I think my big problem with the film more than anything is the fact that there's this incessant need in Hollywood to explain everything. 
Right. And and that's my problem with the film in general. Like I said, I mean, I was entertained. I it, it's, I'll probably never watch it again. Right. Um, I mean, it, it's okay. I was entertained, like I said. Um, but I I didn't need to see why he supposedly is the way he is. I didn't need to see him find the Millennium Falcon. I didn't need to see him meet Chewbacca. Um, and it just it, it just feels extremely unnecessary yeah uh yeah i could i could see that and it was funny because my even my youngest kid he's he said while you're watching it you know that so-and-so is going to betray so-and-so you Mm -hmm. know and there was a lot of that where i'm like okay it's either you know kira or um whatever woody harrelson like you kind of can see the whole film setting up for the third act betrayal um and that kind of and also, I think we talked about this in a previous podcast. Paul Bettany's character was a misfire because he's literally just in the same room the whole film, which mm-hmm. I always have a problem. That was right. That was Tango and Cash's Jack Palance. That yeah, <laughs> it was like if the guy, if the the gangster, the mobster, this that's scary. He's literally sitting in a room somewhere. I I'm not that scared of him. And Tango um, and Cash, <laughs> yeah. Cash and Tango. So yeah, there were a lot of, um, I really liked L3. She was great. Um, played by Phoebe Waller bridge. Um, Mm -hmm. they, and that, that, uh, uh, kind of brought the point that, you know, all of the droids in the star Wars universe have been slaves, uh, which is kind of an uncomfortable reality. Basically really disposable. Exactly. They, they, we programmed them to have some kind of humanity and emotions and then we enslave them, which is kind of dark. Nobody wants to think about that. So, (laughs) and I like these special effects. They had more practical effects. Like lady Proxima was a puppet basically instead of CGI, which I, I love that kind of a thing. So, well, yeah, I, I've always been very pro practical effects. Uh, my friend who works down in uh, effects makeup in Hollywood, uh, you know, he he started out doing stuff like that with the uh, uh, Chris Wayless and you know later like uh, ILM and oh, okay, uh, <clears throat> and it's just it's just so much better on screen because you can physically interact with practical effects whereas if it's just a chroma key or a you know green screen or whatever and you're just looking at it like ah reacting yeah. to something you know that you can't see it it just it's hard yeah um i i have to say i i, I really enjoyed woody harrelson mm-hmm. who ever since cheers i think has really shown that he's really a varied actor he's he, you know he's not just you know woody on that show that he's really good at playing <clears throat> you know uh, different types of characters, both good and bad, and uh, so I liked him a lot, and I really liked Thandi Newton. And you know, again, this is a spoiler podcast. I, the fact that they kill her off so early really bummed me out. Yeah, I thought we were going to have her for the whole film. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 we didn't get her very much. She's barely. I think she's in it for like twenty minutes or something. Right. right. And you're, you're like that. That's it. Yeah, and she kind of sacrifices herself, kind of. Um, needlessly and really flippantly she's like well i guess this isn't gonna work see you later i was like damn don't you have a will to live (laughs) you know what i also liked which i'm sure some people didn't um i've never given a damn about chewbacca and han as a as a couple like as a friendship but in some way this film made that friendship seem more real to me i so i did like like i've kind of not 
obviously I'm not a big Star Wars fan, but I liked the Chewbacca Han relationship, although I didn't like seeing hearing Han speak um, Wookiee. That did not work for me. But, um, <laughs> I, you know, I liked their relationship in this film quite a bit. Yeah, I think that was one of the few things with that actor that I think actually worked out um, is that, you know, they got had a good rapport going. Uh, what, so what would you give it a one to ten? Oh, my gosh. OK, for a sci-fi action film, I guess I'd give it an eight. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I'd probably give it a six. And it's just because I, it, like I said, I mean, as you know, I mean, it was it was relatively entertaining. It just is so unnecessary. It, it just fits into Disney's thing where they've just got to crank them out every year. Yeah. Instead of giving the audience a bit of a breather and maybe build up some anticipation. Yeah. Well, I've got to admit, for me, it's mostly I liked the lead and I really liked the look and the production design and the special effects. Those went a long way for me. So it was it I was think, very pretty. I think the stuff that I liked the most was the stuff, uh, you know, in the snow. I thought that whole heist sequence was really well done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, you don't get I mean, other than, you know, like, say, Empire Strikes Back you know uh, you don't get a lot of stuff in snow in star wars and i just i don't know if i enjoyed it yeah uh, <clears throat> but like you i probably won't bother watching it again um but yeah, yeah. I, I don't i don't see that happening <laughs> no, there's no reason for me to watch it again mm. uh okay so for those of you who are wondering hey Where's Ant-Man during Avengers Infinity War? Here's the Sapphire Wounds, taking place immediately before the events of that world-shattering epic. Our hero Scott Lang is under house arrest after the events of Captain America Civil War, but he's not letting that keep him from being the best dad ever, nor has he stopped pining for his love Hope Van Dyne. When complications arise, Scott is called back into duty by Hank Pym to work with Hope as his new partner, the Wasp, to stop new villain, the Ghost, from draining the life force from Hank's wife to restore her to solidity. Did you get all that? It doesn't really matter. What does matter is that the Pym particles are back in full force as the Marvel Universe unleashes Ant-Man and the Wasp. So, how long have you been Ant-Man again? Not long. It just sort of happened. I wish I could fight bad guys like you. I seem to mess it up almost every time. Maybe you just need someone watching your back. Hi. Like a partner. Dr. Pym, I actually heard what happened to you. You opened up the quantum realm. That's when this crazy creepy ghost who like walks through walls and stuff. Stole your tech. And now she wants to take over the world or whatever. Who would have believed that in your hour of need, you would turn to us? Not me. Because I mean, we robbed you. Do you remember? That's us. The only chance we've got is both of you. Ant Man and the Wasp teaming up. Follow my lead. She seems more intense. You go low, I'll go high. I have wings. Why would I go low?
Hey, what'd I miss? We were just tiny! I was partners with Hank on a project called Goliath. How big did you get? My record, 21 feet. You? 65 feet. 65. If you two are finished comparing sizes... 65. So, okay, I'm gonna, obviously I'm going to ask you first, but I have to say right out of the gate, I love this film. Yeah, I really had a lot of fun with it, and I think after the seriousness of of, of Infinity War, and 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 just how heavy the ending of that was, this was kind of like that a, a necessary, like a palate cleanser that kind of allow you just go to a superhero movie and have fun at it. Yeah. So what 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 are your thoughts? On well, that? so I I liked the first Ant Man a lot, and then I rewatched it before I watched this, you know, Ant Man mm-hmm. and the Wasp. And the first Ant Man wasn't as good as I had remembered. I th- I honestly think because Deadpool kind of knocked the um, the block off it with the comedy. Um, right. It's a little more R-rated. Too. Yes. Oh, definitely. Totally different type of comedy. But as far as, you know, Ant-Man was, the first Ant-Man was pretty irreverent when you compared it to these other Avenger films. Right. And um, when you look at the first Ant-Man today, it's not quite as, I don't know, it just wasn't quite as good. But I feel like this new one, the Ant-Man and the Wasp, they learned from the first film they learned what worked and they totally capitalized on it and they did a great job i think the second one is better than the first one i agree and i think part of that has to do with the fact that uh paul rudd was one of the contributors to the screenplay Mm -hmm. and i I really think that he's got uh the likable leading man thing down uh he's there's no arrogance in his performance um, and I don't, I mean, is there really any more likable leading man right now for like light comedy than Paul Rudd? Yeah. And he's, he's really just, uh, the word likable doesn't really cover it. I mean, but he, he really is. He's so charming. Yeah. And self-effacing. And yet you instantly, you instantly you're won over by him. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, um, I of course love him in. Uh, Wet Hot American Summer, which is a program yeah. I'm obsessed with. Um, but, you know, putting that aside, he, he is likable, he's handsome, but he's sort of not threatening, you know, like, he doesn't have the big, big muscles. And, you know, so he's likable for everybody. Um, and this movie, uh, I, I mean, I think there were some missteps, but they the other thing the film really took to heart from the first one is, I think the film realized how much audiences like all of the small, big um, back and forth because they played with the size of Ant-Man the whole mm-hmm. film. He was all right. sorts of different sizes. Sometimes he'd be huge and she'd be half size. And and the that was very clever. Like people, I think people respond really favorably to that. And they did more of that in this film than the first one. And the effects are great. Yes, yeah. Uh, there's that whole sequence where he's like, like, like the size of an eight-year-old. That was one of the funniest parts of and the film. Just, yeah, it was hysterical, <laughs> and um, I'm, I have to say, I was so glad that they brought Michael Pena back. Yeah, yeah, he was fine. He's wonderful. Yeah, there's a part where he's being interrogated. He's supposedly being in, given truth serum, and 
he did they can't shut him up and they're trying to figure out where where scott is and, and he and he gives him like this whole story that's just hilarious right. and, and convoluted and his friends are like no that's just that's just him he's not screwing with you. Right, right that's how he is yeah the there were they did a good job with the comedy in this they they brought back um they softened michael douglas's character a bit and he got some yeah. com- comedic lines um, more than in the first film, you know, the first film did did really poorly with uh, um, uh, Hope's character. I mean, she was, you know, she was given more of a of a plot in this film, um, yes. and she even got some comedic lines, which is nice. Uh, she got a couple good fight scenes, which was super fun. Um, I felt like the bad guys in this film weren't super great, but again, like we're talking, it's hard, I think, to have all these superhero films where you have, you have to come up with these new bad guys. And, um, you know, I, I love the way that the ghost's costume looked. That was epic. You know, oh, the ghost outfit was really good. It was very creepy. It was, it was. Um, and I, I think the thing, one of the things I really enjoyed about this is that the plot is not the end of the world or right. anything it's, it's very personal actually it's very right. small scale yes yeah that's uh, yeah you know it's all it's all about trying to rescue uh you know janet from um uh hank's wife from the microverse basically right and um the ghost wants her so she can drain her energy because she's in unable uh, to stay in a stable right a molecular state and um you know and and Lawrence Fishburne is great and and his character has you know he's not evil right you know but he he's got he just wants to help but he's willing to bend the rules a little bit and um I I I, I really think that that Ant-Man and the Wasp is, is really a great uh kind of like with Guardians of the Galaxy um it's an entry in the Marvel universe that doesn't have to take itself totally seriously and, you know, remind people that, you know, superheroes <laughs> and comic books are fun. Right. They're supposed to be fun. <laughs> right. Yeah. And which is not any diss on, like I said, on Avengers Infinity War or anything, which I think is I a masterpiece. So. Right. I absolutely love that film. And it comes out on Blu-ray on Tuesday and I will be buying it immediately. <laughs> right. Um, and probably watching it until my girlfriend smacks me. Um, <laughs> Because and of course I've got her son addicted to it, so now I'm I'm perfect. Gonna, I've basically been told I will pay. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, what would you give this on our scale? I got, for a superhero film, I'm gonna give it a nine. It was super fun, and the pace was great, and it had a lot of likable people in it. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna agree with you. I'm gonna give it a nine because uh, it, it it is fun, and uh, y- there's real heart in this film. And, and characters, there's nobody who's a real outward villain per right. se. Right. I mean, even the most "quote unquote" villainous character played by Walton Goggins, and he's played for comedy pretty much. Yes. Too. Yeah, and you know, I was just thinking while you were rounding out the, it's kind of an ensemble series of villains and um, impediments because you've also got the whole plot line with Randall Park, the FBI agent who is trying right. to catch Scott Lang out so that he can't. Uh, have custody or or see his daughter so you kind of have all of these factors teaming up against them and um that was that was kind of cool it kept it light but it kept the pace um compelling so yeah and and as for randall park 
that's one of those um, kind of Easter eggs that Marvel loves to put into their films. Uh, I, I, as soon as they said who Randall Park was, I was stoked because that's a character in Marvel that's about seventy years old. Okay, cool. So they mixed uh, it up. The first appearance of that character was in uh, an incredibly horribly racist comic book that Marvel put out in the fifties called The Yellow Claw. Mm. <laughs> the yellow claw was basically like a hundred foot Fu Manchu kind of character, but he was, you know, that rare th- thing, which was a positive Asian character. Okay. At the time, he was the FBI hero in okay. those comics that was always up against the yellow claw. So uh, bringing him into Ant-Man and the Wasp, I thought was really neat. And I hope we get to see more of him. Well, that's, yeah, I was thinking, uh, because you're such a comic book guy, I was wondering how this film stacked up for you, so. Yeah, well, Marvel for me has, got, has unlike the DC films, uh, Marvel has really been able to maintain a high standard, um, even when they've had films that I think weren't as great, like The Incredible Hulk I didn't really care for, um, <clears throat> and, you know, Iron Man 2 and 3, you know, they're entertaining, but they're they're really kind of frivolous. Uh, but I think overall Marvel really tends to just, I don't know. They, they seem to have such a winning formula and they know to stick to it. Right. Right. No, this was a, this is a fun film for sure. All right. Well, we'll be back with the uh, reviews of slaughter hotel and Miami connection right after these words from our sponsors. Center before showtime. And we're back. It's time to blow out the old videotapes as we rummage through the discount bin at our local video store for the Retro Rewind. Our first selection comes to us from the lovely country of Italy, a land of sun, the sea, and hot chicks in mental hospitals. Dr. Clay runs a tight ship at his mental health facility, and by a tight ship, I mean that he allows women to run around naked and play with his large arsenal of medieval weaponry. Did I mention that there's a black cloak killer on the loose as well? Oh my yes. With such a delicious selection of death-dealing choices, how can he resist? 
Mix one part giallo with one part porn and a dash of 70s easy listening music plus one heaping helping of Klaus Kinski, and you've got Slaughter Hotel. Oh, Kelly, your thoughts, Slaughter Hotel. Um, well, this is definitely the most uh, pornographic film that you've had me watch, but it's also, <laughs> don't let that, it's also one of the most terrible films you've had me watch. So this was, this was just a delight, Tim. So thank you for that. <laughs> so. I always love the misdirect. It starts out, this fetid piece of garbage, and I loved it. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, this is definitely one that you cannot watch with your kids around. Um, no. And, you know, it's, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm writing a review for it, so I'm looking up. And you know what the top keyword on IMDb is for this film? Oh, no, I don't know. It's labia. <laughs> <laughs> God. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even know that was an option for a keyword, so... Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for this one. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I got this film because I, I, I'm a huge Jalo fan. I absolutely love that subgenre, and for all its faults. Um, and of course, then I heard Klaus Kinski. I'm like Jalo, Klaus Kinski. Sign me up. <sighs> so it, it got. It, it was there. I mean. Okay. Now I, 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 I realize that, you know, I, I, I'm not like, you know, I don't look like, you know, 
Tom Cruise or whatever, but holy Lord, was there ever a scuzzier looking man than Klaus Kinski? Yeah. And he's, you know, an actual real life rapist. So he's super, super gross to watch for me. He's he's horrific. Yeah. But there's one thing he's good at. It's playing scuzzy characters. Yeah. Because he was one in real life. Yeah. I also, I liked his hair in this. Um, He had that kind of blowout bowl cut look. Uh, That back, shoulder length. Uh, it just, it looks like it's never been washed. Yeah. I just, doesn't he inspire confidence in you as a doctor? When you look at him, you're like, sure, this is someone I, I would trust. Right? As he's smoking with his long cigarette filter. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So the plot of this thing is you've got a bunch of women that are at this mental health hospital and it's, it's in this Italian villa and the entire place is littered with medieval weaponry on the wall. Right. Just sitting there. There's an Iron Maiden in the living room. An o- a working open Iron Maiden full of spikes and a lock. <laughs> and um, there's, there's a killer who comes in like every night. He comes in through some underground tunnel or something. And he, he, he grabs one of the weapons. And, and they, there's a scene and he's like hovering over the weapons. Like and his hands are like ah, ah. <laughs> right, like, you know, hovering over like ooh, ooh, there's so many, you know, <laughs> right. And then he first one he goes and he picks up this axe and he kind of, kind of holds it like yeah, yeah, that's got good heft, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and you know, and he's got a big Dracula cloak and, and a, a like I guess like a black uh, nylon mask or something. And, and, you know, when he goes in and he, he he kills like a woman every night or something, and it just never seems to be that big a deal. Yeah, I mean, hospital staff. That, that was really unclear as to how many nights in a row. It seemed like there were only like two nights that we're, we're seeing here. He kills, he beheads the nurse. That's the first person I think he kills. Like the scythe, yeah. Yeah, most of the killings are just excuses for the camera to like linger over fully naked women writhing around in the bed and masturbating or not. Uh, but I think, yeah, by the, I think it was just a couple nights that we're watching here. Well, yes. Th- th- this, this movie does play into the notion that all women sleep fully nude and, and writhe around with no sheets with the, in a brightly lit room, like in a brightly lit uh, room. Yeah. With right. no, yeah. <laughs> I have to say this the whole setup was so odd because it seemed like there were about four main characters of women that were just going to, you know, be be killed. Uh right. and it seemed like they were involuntarily committed. Um but at the same time there was no security at this place. Like they could have yeah, just it's, left it's at any It's not like it's a maximum security facility. No, or right. I liked the shower they had. That shower was epic. It was like a huge room with lots of jets. Like Yes. Yeah, that was that was a nice shower. Yeah, I. It, 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 the movie itself is, is absolutely ridiculous when you, if you even remotely try and uh, dissect what's going on. Um, the, I mean, first of all, who in their their right mind would look at Klaus Kinski and say, you know, I, I put you in, in, in myself in your capable hands. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, and he has a patient who's falling in love with him, and then right. there's another patient who's starting a sexual affair with her nurse. So it's more like Interprope's hotel or Interprope's hospital because <laughs> it's like uh, the only the only professional there was the 
Dr. Cockblock or whatever, the guy that would run in and be like, you guys need to stop. Yeah, okay, there you go. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. he, he, again, the only, if you were looking for someone to make uh, Klaus Kinski look more attractive, uh, it would be uh, that guy, John Carlson. Right. Uh, literally looks like a shrunken apple head. Because <laughs> he, runs, uh, he runs up to the nymphomaniac and he's like, knock it off. Don't, don't make me get out the hose. He's like, yeah. quit looking at the gardener. <laughs> so. Yeah, because he was getting all horny for the gardener. So he goes and he puts her in the shower. Right. Yeah. He's and so like, she's in the shower and she's just writhing around right. in the shower for like like what feels like an eternity like yeah, but minutes I'm something. telling you that shower was pretty great I'd, I'd be doing the same thing it looked great and I gotta say I mean I, I, I've been a big fan of hers uh, her name's Rosalba Neri mm-hmm. and she's stunningly exotic she's very very, very, pretty. very beautiful yeah. woman and not, most of the time they usually have her play you know like uh, femme fatales and in this one she's not she's just super horny right <laughs> she she goes out and she like just jumps on the gardener. Yeah, and, and I, after the gardener, she's walking back, and a couple of the um, attendants are trying to grab her. And she, there's a pretty long scene of her just rubbing on these guys, and they're like, <laughs> they're like, stop that! But they're not literally trying to move her back to the hospital. <laughs> they're just kind of getting. It was very soft core, the whole thing. Oh, oh yeah. Well, speaking of that. So the print that I have, the restored Blu-ray I have, is got a little extra than what you saw because you saw it under the title of "Cold-Blooded Beast," right? And that one's kind of edited. That's more the British slash American version. I got what was known as the Continental version, apparently. And back so, then, so sophisticated. <laughs> yes, they called it the Continental, as, as in the continent. But right. you know, I guess. But you know, <clears throat> um, what they would do. Uh, in uh, with a lot of European films, is they would make different prints for different parts of the world, and apparently, the Europeans wanted more, like more sex and more nudity, and so they filmed some hardcore insert shots that with with different actresses that aren't the ones that you see on screen because it's right. an ultra almost gynecological close up. Yes. And so I ne- and I had seen this film before, but not this. Right. And so I'm sitting there and I'm watching it, and all of a sudden y- y- you've got the scene with Rosalba Neri, and she's laying in bed and she's rolling around, and all of a sudden it's a, a jump cut to an instant shot of-, of her masturbating, like ultra close up, like. Oh, whoa. I I got that shot too. Yeah. You did? Yeah, I had to put down my sandwich. I was like, wow. <laughs> okay, here here we go. <laughs> yeah, you're like, wait, what's happening? Oh, I knew what was happening. <laughs> yeah. you know, the thing is, like, you can tell it's not her because she has a tattoo. Right. And you, when they go to the close-up, the tattoo's not there. And it's just, it, it just absolutely, I was kind of the same thing. I was, like, taking a drink of water and I went, <laughs> right. like, whoa, where'd that come from? Good God. Um, so, yeah, so there, there's that difference. Um <clears throat> But uh, when it comes to the mystery, I don't really think there's much of a mystery as to who the killer is, really. Because you get shots of this killer before they put the mask on outside. And you can see from the hair that there's only two characters that fit that look. Right. And it's either going to be Klaus Kinski or 
is going to be the, the the husband of one of the of uh, Cheryl Cheryl's husband yeah Cheryl's husband yes um, <clears throat> and it, it you know again as a spoiler podcast I'm just gonna who cares uh, it, it it's not Klaus Kinski yeah I mean the the mystery was just a series of setups to watch women get sexually brutalized I mean that's all that was happening in this film and then at the end when the he's still on the loose running around and he finds a you know finds a room full of about five women and kills them all in what I'm sure the film thought was a shocking awesome ending um the police are like oh I guess he killed all these women because he really just only wanted to kill his wife and um he would. He thought he'd kill a bunch of them, and no one would know who it was. You know, and uh, I'm like, well, that yeah, doesn't. It was ex- the goofiest explanation. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, well, I had heard something that they said that 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 scene was, um, like in, supposedly quote unquote inspired by uh, Richard Speck. Right. But and uh, when and he uh, murdered and. Right. raped and murdered like, like eight eight nurses or whatever on this one night and um but i mean it's in that scene honestly when you get to that scene that is one of the most batshit bonkers endings it just he, none of them put up any fight whatsoever and there's literally well, they're like, where they should be able to jump on him and get right. that mace away from they're him. like bowling pins he just knocks them all over they're just and totally there's, helpless yeah. yeah and there's that whole score that was just like a clanging gong or whatever it's like gong 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 and he's just like clobbering these women with this mace and you're like jesus christ yeah <laughs> the actually the whole movie the score was irritating to me because it had a lot of um just kind of noise uh i don't know what instruments they were using but it was you know and then suddenly a scene would end and this big racket of a score was just gone and it was silent you know so well yeah it, it would go to that a lot of that like i said earlier like this the 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 70s easy listening you know where it's just like that uh there's like yeah. the flute the manos like, the manos style uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the mellow jazz flute yes that's true um <laughs> so uh all in all what would you give the oh my god hotel it's like a three it's just trash oh it's utter trash and that's why i give it an eight there you go <laughs> <laughs> it's just it, it really is just it, it's the ultimate in euro trash cinema and uh it, it just there's really no rational explanation for why this thing exists it, it it just it's just junk and but it's it's like uh, fast food. I, I know it's bad for me and I, I like it anyway. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I get it. I I looked really. I tried really hard to think of something I liked about the film. I, 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 there's a lot of beautiful women in the film. Uh, oh, yeah. That's about all I could you know appreciate. So yeah. I, you know what? The nurse, she has a pretty cute little bralette that she wears. I liked her little bralette. That was cute. Yeah. Okay. I guess, I guess I'm going to give it a four. She's beautiful. Swiss actress. Yeah, red hair. Yeah. Yeah. I looked her up. She kind of, uh, she didn't do a lot, but, um, yeah, no, uh, it was, um, qu- kind of film. I got to be real careful watching cause I do have kids in the house. <laughs> oh yeah. Just, yeah. That's why I gave you the heads up ahead of time. Oh yeah. And I mean, I always research before I watch something, but I mean, this is actually one that my husband wouldn't have liked to see either. He would have been totally, um, what's traumatized. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, 
Okay, finally, we come to the end of our cinematic meal. It's time for some filmic tawny port. And brother, do we have a tasty treat for you when a drug deal is interrupted by Yoshito and his band of bloodthirsty ninjas. A local up-and-coming band is dragged into the conflict, but the members of Dragon Sound aren't about to let that ruin their day. Now the band has to face both a drug cartel, a ninja gang, and a rival band if they want to get their unique brand of positive energy and self-confidence-boosting pop to the rest of the world. While assistant gang leader Jeff is busy with his hair-trigger temper, band member Jim is still hanging on to the hopes of being reunited with his long-lost father, and he's got the show-stopping monologue to prove it. It all comes down to a martial arts free-for-all in a local park with the, aid of Orla- <laughs> with the fate of Orlando in the balance. But for some reason, they're still calling it Miami Connection. <laughs> Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We have a special treat for you today. We have a new house band with a new dimension in rock and roll. We have the one, the only, Dragon Sound. love this film so much yeah oh me too you you already know this like this is this is such a an amazing fun wholesome like perfect 80s film like if you were trying to do a parody of a film like this you could not get this note perfect (laughs) well the film is it's just such a it really is one of those unique train wreck uh, of a film that can't be duplicated. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, you know, the truth is, as a film, it's a complete disaster. It, it, it is terrible acting, terrible writing, poorly conceived fight scenes with zero choreography. Um, it, it's just a complete mess. And yet somehow 
it manages to be absolutely enchanting <laughs> and entertaining it, it, for reasons I just I can't even put into words. I mean, now, like most people, I, I saw it first with riff tracks, obviously. And then I finally watched it without. Right. And I laughed just as much without. Yeah, so I actually <laughs> found it long before Riff Tracks got their hands on it. Um, really? Yeah, and I don't know how I found it, but I found it shortly after um, Alamo Drafthouse re-released it oh, in, okay. in 2012. And so it wasn't a cult movie at that point. And I, we watched it, and I was like obsessed immediately. And we actually put together a um, a f- showing of it here in our historic theater that we have. And oh, no. yeah, I got a bunch of sponsors and I had a raffle like and I made T-shirts that said Dragon Sound, which are still I still have. The, I still sell those T-shirts <laughs> online, you know. So I was 120 percent into this film and all the proceeds from our event went to a local dog rescue. But oh, um, yeah, it was super fun. But I will tell you, there were maybe 30 people in the audience of, of a, in this theater seats, about a thousand people. It was so freaking <laughs> awesome. Like, <laughs> I would do it again. We designed a poster. I'm gonna have to send you the poster. But um, yeah, so this film, first of all, one of the things I love about it, there are so many guys in this film, like all of the thugs and all of the fight scenes they found so many people in this film. Like that first setup where there's a bunch of 80s dudes selling cocaine. There are oh, so yeah. many guys there. And I, it was just overkill. It was awesome. Well, yeah. And it's so funny because when you watch it, there's like some of the guys, there's, there's clearly no like, you know, group dress code or anything. It's just there's like the guys with fedoras and then, you know, like the Miami Vice looking suits. And then you got guys in just T-shirts and sweats there were a lot of sweatpants yeah yeah you know um and then like there's like the whole ninja thing how how much of a problem does orlando have with ninjas well not anymore because by the end of the film they've killed them all well thank yeah well thanks to dragon sound (laughs) right you you know uh it just i never knew that there was supposedly a ninja culture in, in orlando in central florida um okay the character of jeff now, yes. He's second in he's second in command to Yoshido. Right. Who's the leader of the ninjas. And <clears throat> Jeff um <laughs> he's this guy with this big porn stash and he his sister is dating one of the main guys from Dragon Sound. Yeah. And he has this guy goes literally he starts out at a 10 of rage and, and goes up to like 37. He's constantly just, you know, angry. She's like, oh, hey, Jeff, this is my, my boyfriend. I know who he is. Right. He So Jeff is fixated on his sister dating the Dragon Sound. Uh, In a creepy way. Yeah. He So they're, they're brokering this massive cocaine deal. And Jeff is not only upset about it, he keeps talking to his boss, Yoshida, about it. <laughs> so he's like, she, oh, yeah. she's still dating that dude. Yeah. So, yeah. And, okay, so, I mean, there's... I almost don't even know how to start with this film because 
so this first scene are basically a bunch of ninjas hijacking a bunch of Miami Vice looking dudes and stealing their cocaine. So the ninjas are now going to sell the cocaine. Okay, that's fine. So the next thing that the film cuts to is a band called Dragon Sound, five guys and one uh, female singer. And not only do these five guys all attend the same college together, University of Central Florida, they also, they all live together as roommates and they're all orphans. And the film loves to keep pointing that out, that they're all orphans. They are all orphans. They're all orphans. And um, (laughs) the best part is that one of the first songs they're singing it's actually the second song because I know way too much about this film. Oh, no. is is called Against the Ninja, and it is explicitly talking about these ninjas that are selling yeah. drugs. <laughs> Just like what? The, like it's already established. Like first thing in the film, like we are fighting ninjas who are selling drugs. Like that's what they're singing about. <laughs> what, what was the other one? The song like honesty, loyalty. Yeah, friends for eternity, Tim. It's called Friends for Eternity. <laughs> friends for eternity yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like it, it's so funny because like the, the 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 audience is going absolutely bonkers over what is basically christian rock yeah it's it's you know it's a little bit catchy uh i mean it's so it, it is like it makes white bread look like pumpernickel yeah and <laughs> and even though they're supposedly playing live in no way does it sound like that's a live oh, you no. know band right yeah and um the the main guy who like also like produced it and wrote it and everything you know Y Y K Kim, uh, he's the leader of the group and it, and they're all supposed to be like college age. He looks about forty seven. He was forty one when the film was made. Well, there you go. <laughs> right. <laughs> he, and and you know and I I I, I kind of like mocked his accent a little bit and the reason why is not many meaning to be disrespectful. You cannot understand a thing that comes out of his mouth. Yeah, he doesn't have a lot of lines, and he, he clearly worked very hard on his lines. And yes. um, I can understand him probably because I've seen the film about six times. But, um, <laughs> but the cutest thing is, so even though the film has some gore, like there's literally people getting their heads cut off and all of that. Besides the gore, this is kind of a weirdly wholesome film. Because he is such a tender-hearted little den mother at, at their house. Like, he's always checking to see if they've done their homework. And, yeah. <laughs> like, he has so much concern for his friends. And, um, of course, you know, the best uh, the best sort of subplot is Marie Smith, who plays the keyboardist, Jim. Of course. Who, um, <laughs> I just... He's like, he comes, he's about to take a shower. Like they're always shirtless at this house. These guys, they're just hanging out shirtless. And he has, he starts to reveal to his four roommates that he's an orphan. His, his mother was Korean and his dad was a African American something. And he tells this long story about, he thought his dad was dead, but it turns out his dad's alive. And that is one of the best scenes, like kind of ever, because he's, he's like, crying and and like like has this high-pitched voice and all the rest of them are just like silently listening like in various stages of like awkward silence and well, it, it, it's such a, a great scene because when when he starts talking he literally steps into a spotlight right and the light in the background on the other people like goes down right like a stage show right you know like a stage production and when you look at the different guys it's so hilarious because they all have different 
Yes. Different expressions of remorse or or sorrow. You know, like yeah. you know, like one of them's got got he's got there's one dude he's always got his leg up on yeah, the table. The tall gawky one. Yeah. Yeah. And uh and he's and he's he's got this he's looking down, it's like, man. You know, and, and like uh you know, YK Kim is constantly got the same expression he pretty much has the entire film, which is this this pained, worried expression. And uh it, the the scene is one of the funniest things I've ever seen because he delivers it like he is going for the Oscar. Yes, he does. And this is his moment. This is going to launch his career. He is going to be discovered and he, he will be working with Sir Ben Kingsley <laughs> soon. And <laughs> yeah, I'm just not sure if I've seen anyone weep as openly as he was weeping during that scene. And oh, man. yeah, they're all standing in those different attitudes of, basically respect but they're all terrible actors and i i mean terrible oh god awful because you've got john he's the really tall gangly dude that we see with his shirt off way way too much uh he's the base (laughs) the bassist and he's dating jane they all have these names like john and jane and jim and tom and jeff jeff you've got tom that's the guy they were in the riff tracks they were calling oats (laughs) He's, right. He's, and John it was the one they they called uh, what was it the like the swimmer. Oh, I don't remember the swimmer. Michael, what's his face? The big gold winner, medal winner. Like Oh, uh, um, Giant Michael Phelps. Which so which one was that? That was John, the John, tall one. Yeah. yeah. Giant Michael Phelps. Oh, yeah. And um yeah, oh god, that that scene, I mean, honestly, you can see this scene alone by itself on YouTube. Yeah. And it's worth every second. Yeah. It's kind of um, unbelievable. It yeah. is hysterically funny. And, and um, I think we need to talk briefly about uh, <laughs> about Jane, uh, who really serves no other function in the film than to be John's girlfriend and Jeff's sister. And she's a lead singer, but she is like one of the worst actors in the film. And that is saying quite a bit. Well... <laughs> The thing is, it's like, you know, you say she's lead singer, but there's some songs in there where she just stands there. And dances. Kind of bounces around the stage with a tambourine or... I don't think she has a tambourine. I think she's just clapping. Oh, she's just clapping. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And she's just smiling away. And, you know, it, it is hysterical. She doesn't really do anything. And she has this argument with her brother, you know, and he's like, I want you to stay away from that band, you know, whatever. And, it, it, she, and she's just kind of like, well, but I love him. And it's like, well, I don't care. You shouldn't love him, whatever. You know, and she's just kind of, oh, my God. And she, there's, there's, he's, he's up to like over a, like a, 11 and she's like at one, you know, and, and she's like, well, there's a great dialogue scene between her and John and they're talking about Jeff, you know, and he's like, oh, he's a terrible person. And she's like, I know, but he's my brother. Yeah. Her acting you know? is atrocious. And then when he gets killed. Uh, yeah. She, he gets, he gets killed in a fight with dragon sound and she's like oh well yeah that you know. scene was so hilarious okay so this is right before the final the the thing i was saying to ralph when we rewatched it rewatched it yet again um the film i love this film but it doesn't do a good job um telegraphing like when it's an important fight scene and when it's a less important fight scene because yeah. the final fight scene is the most dramatic one because one of the guys we, you know gets killed we think he gets killed he ends up surviving but right before that scene they they are shopping for a suit um for for jim because he's going to meet his father 
and they um, <laughs> they come back home, and Jeff has just been killed like the night before, and there's Jane, and the film acts like uh, like there was some huge long estrangement between John and Jane, but they were just hanging out like three minutes ago in the film. Yeah, and she so she's like, I've done some thinking. And I was like, what the f-? like? Her brother was just killed. Yeah, and he's like I'm so sorry about that but we had to do it and I told Ralph I'm like if you ever kill my brother don't tell me you had to do it just be quiet just say you're sorry and just like yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah we, said, we, it couldn't be helped or whatever and yeah. he's like it's okay I understand it's pretty <laughs> that that's pretty verbatim yeah that was such a goofy goofy scene oh my god it, it, it's so strange and then there's a scene where they're on the beach and they're driving down the beach and it's like they go you know, they, they cut between shots of them in the in the car, like waving, like woo, you know, and this is so groovy or whatever. And then they cut to shots of different women in bikinis, as close ups of boobs and butts, and this and that. And then all of a sudden, a shot of a child showering. Yeah, well, that scene Wait, was <coughs> that scene Where did was that come from. It was supposed to be showing that there are these like fun loving red blooded American males, and it was just the awkwardest. Because it isn't, like, really gross sexual harassment, but it is harassment of women. And um, the Oats guy has, like, some kind of a wrestling match with a few women because he gropes one of them. And, um, yeah, he, quote, unquote, falls onto one right, of them. Right, yeah. So it was supposed to be this playful scene showing how fun they were. And it was just pretty cringe-inducing. Well, yeah, he's like, well, could I get a kiss? Right, right. Like, no, who are you? <laughs> Never. <laughs> Um, so after after the monologue, my favorite scene is when they're sitting around talking about how they're going to do a world tour. Yeah, well, that was. I figured we could go to each of our home countries. Yeah, he's from Israel. We could go there. Yeah, <laughs> that was sweet though, because they were like, we could go to Ireland, where John's from, and whatever the drummer. He's like, or Israel, where my family's from, and I don't know. It was kind of sweet, like. Like, yeah, that was, that was their plan. They were so wholesome. They were wholesome to the point of, of ridiculous. Well, yeah, I'm like, nobody behaves like that. Nobody talks like that. But yeah, yeah, it was very so, sweet. So so what do you give Miami Connection? Um, uh, 10. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I just love it. I just love it um, 100%. Like every minute of the of the film so yeah. i have to say it is kind of a it is kind of hard to find in a non-riff tracks version um so you know it, the riff tracks version is, is if you have amazon prime it's free uh, on amazon prime and do yourself a favor please for the love of god watch it 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 is it is a 10 it, it is one of their best works it's hysterically funny, even with or without them, but they make it even funnier somehow. Um, but God, yeah, it, it is, it is, uh, I think it, it can safely take its place next to the room as, as a modern bad movie masterpiece. Yeah. Well, and like, like we like to quote, you know, true, true camp, uh, wants to be itself. Like it is absolutely a sincerely made film and that's oh, yeah. for me why I love it. And, but I will say after I showed it here, um, a few years ago, one of my volunteers came up to me. She said, thank you for wasting an hour and 40 minutes of my life. <laughs> I said, 
Okay. <laughs> it, it is one of the most guile-free films I've ever seen in my life. Definitely. And, and that's why it's so sincere. And that's why it works so well. Right. Oh, so... <clears throat> So that's our show for this week. Uh, next month, we're going to be venturing out into the dark and scary woods for The Slender Man. Mm. And we're loading up our Betamax player for Terror Train with Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, the 1998 remake of House on a Haunted Hill with Jeffrey Rush. Mm. And finally, the undisputed schlock classic, The Car. Awesome. <laughs> if you'd like to get a hold of us, you can email us at moviemorgue1 at att.net. Uh, check out our Facebook page and peruse the fun stuff on our Twitter and Instagram feeds. You can check out Kelly's website, B-Movie BFFs, and her Facebook page for it as well for her reviews outside of this venue. And we'd like to take this moment to send out condolences and best wishes to our friend of the podcast, Chris Clayton, who just lost his dear mother recently. Uh, we love you, Chris, and wish you all the best in this trying time. Until next time, remember that with great power comes great responsibility, and we'll see you next time. Sister Jane? She's working here? She's not supposed to be here. I don't I don't know what she's doing here. You better watch her. Let's go. Come on.